0: Hey, brothers and sisters, let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians. We are in a new chapter, chapter 2. The good news is preceded by the gloomy news. I'm going to only be reading from chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The passage actually runs all the way to verse 10. I'll be making that case as we work through it. But just for our reading now, I'd like to read only through verse 4. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Let us turn to the Lord and ask his blessing. O oh Lord, our God, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. We look to you and you do provide. You're faithful and kind. And so we ask these sayings with confidence through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom we have life and salvation. Amen. Well, we are, as I mentioned, in the gloomy news. And it's true that the gospel does not take root in people's lives until they realize who they are. And who they are before the Lord is they are miserable, wretched sinners. This is not a happy thing to proclaim. It is not a happy thing to meditate upon. Paul does not meditate on this very long. We are spending our evening in this section of our worship service meditating on this passage. Uh, So it is a little bit out of, of proportion to the rest of the good news. But this is something that is important enough to think about because it is clear and it is vital to, for us to understand, which brings to us, who now know the grace of God and the love of God displayed here, as mentioned in verse 4, uh, great praise and thanks. We, uh, It is uh, the truth that drives us back to depend upon God in our whole lives, Uh You know, somebody asked uh, our, uh, our young elder candidate today, you know, how he would be humble. And this is it. This is how you stay humble. You return to who you are apart from the Lord. It always humbles us. It always brings us back to what really is our confidence. It's not ourselves. Uh, And that's what Paul is doing. This is not something that Paul recommends a lot, interestingly. uh, And yet in chapter 2, and particularly later on, uh, he's going to to say this. Recall where you came from. Uh, You need to look at that. And this uh, drives you back to your dependence on the Lord. So that's what we're dealing with in this text. Now, Paul has already said some pretty stunningly wonderful things to us in chapter 1, and it ended with this really overwhelming report of his prayers for the church. Uh, And, you know, it's a prayer report. Uh, I, I hope you will know this, and then he teaches us what it is that we should know. So it's almost like a fulfilling prayer, you know. I will, I will help fulfill my prayer by teaching you what I want you to know. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's uh, I'm glad he did. <laughs> I'm really glad he did, because it, it's a rich thing about the power of God unleashed for us, In Christ Jesus, He's He unleashed all His power in Christ by raising from Him from the dead, and we're the beneficiaries because it's power toward you who believe. You know how it's toward us uh, when He raised Christ. So we are we are the beneficiaries of all of that Uh, wonderful, overwhelming omnipotence of the Lord in raising our Lord from the dead. Well, what we're looking at here in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is the first little segment of a unified passage. Now, uh, this is really uh, a place where it shows the difference between translation and the original. In translation, uh, we really like shorter sentences, um, and we, we want things to be broken up into little chunks uh, in this text, interestingly, it really does run on from verses 1 through 10. Uh, and uh, it, it's a, an unfolding uh, presentation. Now, this, is, this works because ancient texts were designed to be read out loud to people. Uh, so this would have been read in the church in, entirely. And in an oral context like that, where you're hearing it rather than reading words on a page, uh, you tend to be able to uh, hear longer segments where there's unity in thought that keeps flowing on and on and on. I actually just did that a little bit to illustrate it. Uh, I, I have a friend who talks like this. Uh, you know, he will, he will start talking and then he'll go off to the side and interject a whole bunch of other stuff and then finally return back to where he started. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I hope he remembers to finish his sentence. You know, it's like <laughs> 10 minutes later. <laughs> and he's a very intelligent guy, so he gets back there, but it's like, okay, i gotta really, I got to really concentrate to track what he's saying. Well, that's what's happening here. This is, this is really, it's important that you see this because this, this is a text which actually unified uh, by how Paul has constructed it. Now, I know it's in verse two. You recall that versification is, is added on by, it's in the 1551, actually, that's when it was invented. Uh, and verses really are added on to our text and not original. And the very first segment of verse 1 flowing into verse 2, it's really the same segment. It ends with walk. So if you read this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. So that's actually the first segment, in which you once walked. And then at the very end, in verse 10, it says, "For, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you have walk and walk. We formerly walked in this. We now walk in new creation, glory, and good works. This is a walk and a walk. Now, here's why this is intentional. Um, Because Paul, in verse 3, uses a synonym of walk. Walk. He uses a word which basically means what walk means here, and he switches to a different word when he says, uh, lived our lives, we once lived. And he uses a different word, because walking is really uh, talking about how we live. Uh, And so he uses a different word in order that he wouldn't break up that pairing of walk and walk conducting life, you know, doesn't interfere with that. You don't have, you know, walking that kind of interferes with that envelope. So we call it an envelope structure. It, it starts with walking. It ends with walking. And this is part of how you can see that verses 1 through 10 is one big unit. We're just dealing with a, a very small segment of that. Uh, but it is uh, really all unified. Now, here's how this structure works. Um and you can basically, in the English, breaking it up into, I think the ESV has four different sentences in verses one through 10. Uh, but it's all, you should think of it as one big sentence because it opens with the direct object. And then in verse four, you have the subject. And then verses five and six, you have three verbs. So here's how it goes. Let me condense it for you. God, he's the one doing the action. He's a subject. And then you have three verbs. He raised us with Christ, uh, and he, make sure I get this, uh, made us alive with Christ, uh, raised us with him, and seated us with him in the heavenlies. So God did three things. He made us alive, he raised us, and seated us. So that's the subject. God did those three things. And then who did he do it to? Who's the direct object? Well, that's verse 1, actually. Uh, that's that word, and you. So that's, that's the persons being acted upon. That's the people being made alive and being uh, raised and being ascended into heaven. And God is doing this. Now, interestingly, he shifts that. He opens with you, and then he switches uh, immediately in verse three to us. So you shouldn't be alarmed by that, because Paul is not is talking to these Gentile folk. This is his ministry to the Gentiles, and he is assuring us: Yes, he did that for you. You have not been left out in God's plan. You're included. In redemption now, this is God's plan all along. We, we saw this in chapter 1 very fully. Uh, and so just because you're not Jewish doesn't mean God never had you in mind. Just the opposite. He's had you in mind all along. And now in Christ Jesus, he has brought in the Savior of the whole world, including you non-Jewish people, to join with the Jewish people who believe in Christ Jesus, into one new body, one new uh, church united together, Jew and Gentile, with no distinction among us. And that's that's part of what's going on with that switch between you, because he's basically talking you Gentiles, and then us, we Jewish people as well, including uh, Paul himself. So, this is, this is uh, the structure of our text, and it's pretty important to see that because right now we're looking at the people who've been impacted by God's working. And you'll notice that in, uh, in conformity with what we've already seen about Christ being the mediator, we have nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Everything we have is in him. He is our mediator. Uh, and then in verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ. He, he uh, raised us with him and seated us with him. So you, you have uh, this uh, action which is alongside and along with him. This is, you know, this is what we call union with Christ with him. We're united with him. What happens to him? We're united uh, with him in what happens to him. What happens to him happens to us. Uh, and so we are the beneficiaries of that. And that's what's going on here. But you have to know who it is who is being acted upon in and Paul makes that clear in verses one through three. Uh, this good news of God acting in uh, merciful kindness in wealth beyond understanding is people who are brought into a state of sin and misery. And you cannot even uh, over overstate the kind of misery that we're a part of apart from Christ, the people who've been acted upon in our shorter catechism, question 17, the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. And so it's an effect of the fall of Adam in the the garden, uh, and it has brought everybody into a state of sin and misery. This isn't just you and me, it's not Oregonians, it's not uh, people who happen to live here, Uh, It's not people in the Western Hemisphere. It's not because of our ethnic background. It's every human being all derived from Adam and Eve originally. Uh, Every single human being uh, who's ever lived is uh, cast into a state of sin and misery after being born of Adam and Eve originally. And we all inherit this sin, Uh, and it's sin and transgression. Um, And that's what Paul is saying, that there's just no escaping this. This is the truth about us. Uh, And uh, Paul wants to cement that in our minds by saying it here in verses 1 through 3 quite plainly. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked. And he uses this term sin and transgressions sin and transgression can be distinguished. They they can be synonyms, they can mean the same thing, or they can mean two slightly different things. Uh, I don't know that it's important to make that distinction here. uh, When you have two words uh, in uh, some context, the author is simply Accenting it, he's emphasizing it by giving synonyms and just piling it up uh, and, and showing that we were in a state of sin and transgression and uh, overstepping uh, and we were lost in all of our ways. That's probably what's happening here. Elsewhere, though, you can make a distinction between sin and transgression in this way. A transgression is violation of a death-sanctioned covenant law. So it's a covenant law, a law with a stipulated requirement that if you violate this, death is the result. And your mind should go right back to the garden. In the day you eat of that tree, you will die. That's the covenant sanction. You will not eat of that tree, and the day you eat of that tree, you, you will die. That's a transgression. You have violated a law with a punishment attached to it. Uh, and that is, actually, if you want to see this, Romans 5, 12 through 14. Because it ends with the statement that death reigned even over those who did not sin in the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Adam transgressed, and we sin, but not in the same way he did, because he had a death-sanctioned covenant law. But we sin. So what then is sin? Well, sin is an offense to God. It offends him. We're, We're doing something which is throwing mud in his face. It is a violation of his sanctity. He has demanded of us, by being our creator, rightly so, all of our love of heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we should do, do only what is upright. And yet we all go our own ways. And so sin is really a personal offense, uh, a violation of the trust that our creator has in us. And that's that's you know one way you can make that distinction. There is a passage you could look at in 1 Kings 8. I won't get into this, but in 1 Kings 8, you have a prayer of Solomon, uh, and he talks about if your people sin against you. You just have this constant refrain, if they sin against you, they're sinning against God. It's not just, you know, some accidental mistake. It's a sin against God. You know it's wrong and you sin against him. And it is an offense to him. And he is offended. This is why sometimes our sin is called a debt. We're incurring a debt to him. We owe him uh, all of our allegiance, but we just uh, turn away from it. And we owe him uh, uh, obedience, but he, we, don't, we don't give it to him. Now, notice what he says in verse 2, in what you once walked. You once walked in these things. Walking is lifestyle. It's the conduct of your life. It's a metaphor for these are things that that we lived our life in. You go to Psalm 1. Uh, Psalm 1 is uh, very prominent this way. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, Stand in the... uh, Yeah, of the sinners, the paths of sinners, and sit in the seat of scoffers. So it's walk, stand, sit. There's a progression. You're walking, and then you enter the house, you stand there, and then you take a seat in the end of the day. Uh, and so, but, but all of this is you're walking in this way. This is a way that you're conducting your life. He actually says that in verse 3, you've conducted our lives, These things. And these are not mistakes. Let me read to you from Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Notice you're walking and living in these things. These things are not just occasional Uh, features of us. These are things that we're walking in. Uh, And then, of course, we want to look ahead to the walk that we're created for. So, this is really bad. But it gets worse, (laughs) if you can imagine. It gets worse in Paul's statement in verse 3, because he says something about this at the end of verse 3, That is clinching his argument, and we're by nature children of wrath, like all the rest. See, there's no getting around this. We were by nature children of wrath. You know, in our day, that is the feature of our culture, they are trying their best to overcome nature. To overcome how they're born and our nature. And there's no overcoming it. Uh, I may start a new trend. I'm going to get a TalkTick or whatever it is, the new app that I need to get, and I'm going to be an influencer. You know, I didn't know I could be an influencer, but I. I suppose if I had this app I can influence people. And I'm gonna identify as a German short hair pointer. I don't know why I picked that, but you know, maybe I have a good model at home. I'm gonna identify with a GSP and that will be my new identity. But sometimes I look at our dog who's a very, you know, he's a very friendly dog, and we you know, we interact with him a lot. Just we've known him since he was a little puppy. and uh, He's an old geezer now. Uh, but what's, what's funny is I'll look at him and say, stop acting so much like a human and be more like a dog. And then he acts like a dog. And I say, don't be such a dog and act more human. You know, <laughs> And I'm thinking, he's really confused because he doesn't know what I want him to be. Well, he by nature is a GSP. He's a dog, okay, by nature. There's no way around it. He can't change that. And brothers and sisters, we were by nature children of wrath. You were by nature children of wrath. There's no escaping that. You were born in wrath. It is is what you are by nature. You walked in that which you lived in because it is your natural estate, born in sin and misery. This is what he says. And then it even gets worse. You were enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. You walked according to this world. You had given yourselves over and you were a member of an army of Satan. That's what he says. And that's that middle section, verse 2. You were allied with the enemy of God and you were his willing minion. By nature, you were born into that estate and you willingly enlisted in his army and executed his desires. And his desires are all these sinful things, rebellion against God, which offend him, walking in sins and transgressions. So the start of the gospel is to recognize this. In the end of the day, this is our humility. This is where we have to start to really grasp what it is that God did for us in Christ Jesus. We don't slowly renovate ourselves. We don't make a New Year's resolution and say, I think I'm going to become a better person and maybe If I work hard enough, I'll be a good person and God will want me in his family. God did not do this. You cannot do this. It would be changing your nature. You can't act otherwise apart from Christ. But thanks thanks be to God. (laughs) Thanks be to God, we have verse (laughs) 4. And, you know, one person said this is the the best two words in the history of the human language, but God. (laughs) There's just no way around it. It's true, but God, who's rich in mercy. Because he's rich in mercy, he's done this to us. And notice what he did. We were dead in our trespasses by nature, and he raised us out of that. He made us alive. We were dead in our trespasses. And he made us alive together with Christ. This is, our, this is the gospel. This is why the gospel is everything to us as Christians. And this is, this is the center of our focus. If we have bad days, this is what you go back to. You just read this text. Because... Bad days are not your heritage anymore as a Christian. Our heritage is but God. And you call upon him to help you in your misery. And if you sin, you look at this text and you say, but God, he delivered me. And he gave me hope in the midst of all of that. His tender mercies are beyond belief. This This is... This is a text where that bad news is essential for us to know. It's essential for the gospel. And you have to to believe that. Now I'm going to end with reading a psalm. I don't know why. (laughs) It just came up in so many things I was doing when I started preaching here. So many places that I was reading in in the New Testament and elsewhere in preaching from connected to Psalm 107. And it just became so precious to me. So forgive me, but I'm going to read a section of Psalm 107, verses 10 and following. This certainly characterizes us in this text. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, Prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. That's what he's done for us. He has shattered the bonds that held us by nature, children of wrath, and he shattered those doors so that now there's a new door open to us and a door into his heavenly kingdom. By grace we've been saved, through faith, not of ourselves. Praise be to the Lord. Let us pray. Bad news, O Lord. True statements of us apart from you. May we never forget it. But more importantly, may we never forget, but God, who is rich in mercy, in Christ Jesus our Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit has given us life and hope. We praise you, O Lord, and we give you thanks. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. So we do, O Lord our God, with thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.